morning, let's all stand. Together we're going to lift up our voices as we sing. At Calvary, years I spent in vanity and pride. Years I spent in vanity and pride. Caring not my Lord was crucified. No. this morning come to worship let's call upon him ask him to come and meet with us this morning father in heaven we come before you we do so with a desire to lift you up and exalt you we thank you that we can sing and pray and know your ear is inclined towards us we ask that you would move in our midst and stir our hearts draw us nearer to you through worship and also through your word we thank you in Christ's name we pray, amen. Please be seated.
Amen. Would you please stand and together we're going to lift up our voices as we sing, Behold Our God. Oh. 
Elizabeth. Mike, if you go ahead and hit that play. Just took you on a little journey through some gardens. They're beautiful, weren't they? Well, I'm going to preach to you this morning about three gardens of life. As we live our lives and as we go through the journey of life, as the Bible really looks at it, we go through many different stages, many different events. And it's interesting when we look into the scriptures and we look at three particular gardens, you find how they represent some pretty clear segments of our lives. We're going to look this morning at the garden of beginnings, the garden of struggles, and then also the garden of victory. I've got three folks who are going to read for us. So if we can start at my left and work to my right. Go ahead and read those texts for us, if you would. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward of Eden, and there he took the man whom he had formed. Kurt? When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden, into the which he entered, and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. So this morning, already, just in those three readings, I've taken you to three gardens. The first one is the Garden of Beginnings, and of course we find that as the Garden of Eden, don't we? There we find Adam, and we find Eve. The Garden of Beginnings is much like our lives. If you look at your life and you look back, there were many different beginnings, weren't there? Think of when you were a child. What an adventure it was to be a child. Everything was new. 
It didn't matter whether it was the first time you ever tasted peanut butter or the first time you ever went out on a date. Whatever took place, it was new and exciting, wasn't it? When your parents told you we were going on vacation, you were excited. Till you got in the car and found out that it was a longer drive than 15 minutes. And then you started wearing them out. But when you're a child, all those new beginnings, and even as a young adult, think back when you started your first job or went to college or when you got married, how amazing it was with that new beginnings, whatever it was. Well, when you look in the Bible here and you understand that the Garden of Eden represents that new beginning, that creation, we find some wonderful pictures of our new beginnings. Go back with me if you would, and I'm going to read to you just a little more than Paula Jean read. But listen as I read to you Genesis chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 7, 8, and 9. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight, good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. As you look at the Garden of Eden and you contemplate and meditate on the wonders and the excitement that must have been there in that garden, can you imagine being Adam? Created from the dust of the earth. God breathes into him the breath of life. And when he comes to, he's a man. He's not a baby without understanding. God's created him with age. In fact, God has him name all the creatures on the earth. But can you imagine as he saw from creature to creature to creature. The duck-billed platypus. Can you imagine as he saw that and he thought, wow, now that is different. I think I'll call that a duck-billed platypus. <laughs> he sees a jaguar, nothing like a duck-billed platypus, but still look at how impressive. He says, wow, now yeah, that's a jaguar right there. All the excitement, the newness, the new beginning of all that creation. And then what's God do? Takes out of Adam a rib and creates a woman. Now, I don't know about you, but when I came to that age as a young man and I started noticing girls, I mean, wow, that was a pretty amazing thing. You know, everything before that is, you know, salamanders, tadpoles and bullfrogs, fishing and running and baseball. And then all of a sudden the scales fall off and you see girls. You forget about tadpoles, snakes, frogs, all that stuff. And man... Can you imagine Adam when God created from his rib Eve? What? It changed his whole life, didn't it? It's a new beginning in his life. It tells us that then they had children. Is that not exciting? I'm telling you what, I've yet to meet somebody who is not excited with a newborn. Babies are amazing, aren't they? When, when somebody brings in a new baby, I just, you know, you look at feet, they're like this big. My big toe's that size. It's that big, their whole foot. It's amazing, those new beginnings. 
Here you find that. Look with me again at verse 7 of Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into the nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. All of a sudden, we see God connect with man. The very beginning of the love of God expressed towards you and I in our lives. Look down with me to verse 15 in chapter 2. And the Lord God took the man, put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Here you find the beginning of the sense of accomplishment and hard work and success. He says to Adam, now listen, I, I know this is an amazing and beautiful garden, but I just need somebody to keep it dressed. Adam says, yes, sir, here am I. I'm, I'm willing to do the job. And he goes about the work of successfully caring for and dressing the Garden of Eden. Isn't it great to accomplish wonderful things in your life? Isn't it great to see things succeed and grow and mature? You see, that's all that sense of beginning. As we come down in our text just a little bit farther, look at verses 21 and 22 of the same chapter. And the Lord God uh, caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. He took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. The beginning of the family. Isn't that a wonderful time of life? It's an exciting time of life. When you go ahead and you come together, it's such a tragic thing that this generation, our people, our country, our world we're living in is degrading and diminishing the family. It's so important. All research shows that if there's an, a nuclear and intact family, it is that harbor of safety and rest and prosperity. It's good. For us and God created it as we look here we see all these beginnings that remind us of all the beginnings in our lives as well but with those beginnings of blessing sometimes comes a, a little bit of a beginning of struggle doesn't it because with every gift comes a responsibility if you're going to have a family you've got to care for a family don't you if you have children, you've got to teach them and nurture and administer the Lord. You've got to provide for them clothes, food. And man, the older they get, the more clothes and the more food. Amen? We went on vacation with our kids here a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago maybe now. And I was talking to my son Josh, who has two kids. And my daughter Joy has six kids. And I told them both, I said, you will be amazed... When the kids leave the nest, how much more money you have? <laughs> I mean, I'm serious. It's, it's, an, it's an eye opener. You become, it's kind of like the frog that you put in a pot and the water's cold. You turn on the heat and that frog will stay in there if you let it just keep coming to temperature. Never tried it, but I've been told. He'll stay there because he gets accustomed to it. Well, that's kind of like you and I as parents. They start out as this little tiny squirt. They don't cost much except maybe to get them. But then maintenance is not all that high. And you get used to it. The water gets hotter and hotter and you're, you're well, it's not that big a deal. But then when they move out, you realize 
man, these guys were costing me a boatload of money. Now they're gone. And Sandra Joe and I were able to go out to eat. We're able to... Couldn't do that when we had kids. But family requires maintenance. And with that maintenance and with that responsibility, oftentimes comes a little bit of a struggle. Look with me at Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Oh, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Amongst the trees of the garden. Something happened in this new beginning. Something was introduced to this garden of beginning. And that was sin, temptation. Falling instead of succeeding. And there became a struggle, didn't there? Satan came, he whispered in Eve's ear. Eve, listen, you don't have to listen to God. You, you don't have to pay attention to him. He's not telling you the whole story. When in reality, Satan was the one that was not telling the whole story. So even in the garden of new beginnings, in all the rush and excitement of all those new beginnings, we find temptation. There's a necessity of maintenance, maintenance of relationship between them and God, maintenance, uh, necessity of maintenance in Adam and Eve's relationship and marriage. It's an interesting thing when you come down just a little bit farther in the text, God starts talking to them. He comes to the garden, he calls out, they're not where they normally are. Look at verse nine. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where are you? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And he said, the woman whom thou gave to be with me, she gave me the tree and I did eat. With all the excitement of this new beginning, now we find a whole new sin, don't we? That sin of lack of accountability, lack of responsibility. God comes down to the garden. He says, Adam, Eve, where are you? And they peek out around a tree. We're over here, but we're afraid and we're embarrassed. Why? Well, actually it's her fault. No, it's not my fault, Lord. You know, 
She's the one. In fact, actually, it's your fault because you gave her to me. So this is not my fault. It's your fault and her fault, but I'm faultless here. Isn't it interesting, even with new beginnings, the excitement, the rush, all that's unfolding and all that's taking place, yet you find this lack of accountability and the willingness to throw the spouse under the bus. It's so much like life, isn't it? Sandra Joe, when, when we got married, I was 21 years old and she was 18 years old. As I know, I heard somebody whistle. Boy, that, that's a baby, isn't it? But I felt like if I'm going to have a wife, I should at least raise her up. No, don't, don't tell her I said that. Don't tell her I said that. We were both kids. We were both college kids. We met, we fell in love, we got married. But you know what? It wasn't long after we got married came the first argument. It might have been while we were walking out of the chapel. I can't remember. <laughs> but it doesn't take long. And all of a sudden, you have to pony up and learn how to say, I'm sorry, and how to work on a relationship, how to forgive, how to repair. That's part of life, isn't it? Adam and Eve in the beginning of all that is. You find real life. Real life transpired. Satan is there and all the time whispering in our ears. If he could, he would destroy all of our lives. But you and I, we dedicate ourselves and we strive to walk with the Lord. But if we're not careful, we don't accept responsibility. We try to blame everybody else and we don't succeed. But that's just one garden. I told you we're going to look at three. Let's look at the second one. Let's look at that garden of struggle. Because that's really where Adam and Eve kind of lead things. That's kind of where you find it end in the garden. You find the Lord, he steps in, he intervenes, but now the curse has fallen upon all humanity and we come to the garden of struggle. Look with me, if you would, over to Matthew chapter 26 in your New Testament. Matthew 26, and I'm going to read to you verses 36 on down. Then cometh Jesus with, with them unto the place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took within Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful. Even unto death tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cometh to his disciples and finds them asleep and saith unto Peter, What could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. They enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, 
for their eyes were heavy. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then, cometh he, then came he to his disciples and saith unto them, Sleep on now, take your rest. Behold, the hour is at hand that the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. Wow, when we look at this, we find the garden of struggle. This is a place none of us want to linger long in. I showed you those vid that little video of all those beautiful gardens. But the garden of struggle is not a place of rest. The garden of struggle is not a place where we find comfort. And here you're not finding comfort or rest. You find the Lord Jesus Christ going to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. The text I had Kurt read said that they were familiar with this text. They had gone uh, to the, uh, they were familiar with this garden. They had gone to this garden many times. But it is a garden of struggle. And life has those gardens in it, doesn't it? Your life, my life. There are those places and those times that are tough, they're hard, they're difficult. They are a place of much prayer. That's what you find the Lord Jesus Christ doing here. Look with me at Matthew 26, verse 36. And you see this prayerfulness. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane and saith to his disciples, Sit ye here, I go and pray. I go yonder and pray. You and I, when we face those gardens of struggle, we get on our knees. If you don't, you should. Follow the example of the Savior. Get on your knees and reach out to the Heavenly Father. Lord, I'm in the midst of the garden of struggle and I need you. Jesus reaches out and he asks his, his disciples. He, he asks his friends, pray with me. You and I, I mentioned pray for Chaz. Chaz is headed down, taking a job in a fire department down there. It sounds exciting. It's the garden of new beginnings. But we know there's going to be some tough times, aren't there? Leaving mom and all her great cooking, that all by itself is going to be tough. But then he's going to go down and he's got to make all new friends, all new community. There's going to be some tough times in the garden of new beginnings. He's going to find himself in a place of struggle at times. And he's going to need to reach out to the Lord. And he needs his church to pray with him. That's what the garden of struggle is like. It needs one another. It needs you and I working together, encouraging, helping others. The garden of struggle oftentimes is laden down with difficulty and sorrow. When you look at verses 37 and 38 in our text, it says he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. You might think to yourself, well, nobody understands Jesus understands. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane and there as he knelt down to pray and as he was trusting his disciples were praying with him, it says he was sorrowful and heavy. He was getting ready to bear your sins and my sins on the cross. He was getting ready to pay for all the sins of humanity. 
past, present, and future. And his, his heart was heavy. And when you face your garden of struggle, well, it's not in the magnitude of Christ dying for the sins of the world. At times, it may feel that way to you. So yes, it is a very real garden in all of our lives at any given time, we can find ourselves there. But I do want you to understand that it's also a garden of hope. Look with me, if you would, at chapter 26. Look down with me at verse 39. He went a little further and fell on his face and he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thy will. He brought before God his hope, his wish, his desire. He said, Lord, if it be possible, I'd love to see this cup be removed from me. But, Lord, your will, not mine, be done. When you look a little bit farther over, look with me, if you would, to verse 38 in the same chapter. Then saith, saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. See, that little glimmer of hope is in his camaraderie with his friends. He says, my heart is breaking. But I need you to watch with me. In that garden of struggle, we find that element of friendship and camaraderie and brotherhood. We need that. When you're going through that struggle, when you're in that garden, you need to know there are others there with you, praying for you, watching with you. I think of patients who's in the hospital, I think now the 13th or 14th week. 90 days. 90 days in intensive care from a brain aneurysm. Her parents, her, they need to know that we're praying because they're in the midst of the garden of struggle. And there's hope in that midst as we reach out to our God. And as we know that our brothers and sisters in Christ are waiting and watching and praying with us. We ourselves are hoping that this garden is not a garden where we linger long. 90 days is a long time. It needs to be a place of surrender. And that's tough, isn't it? When you're in the midst of the garden of struggle, it's hard to surrender. But look with me at verse 39 again, and then at verse 42. And Christ went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. You see, part of the struggle... The end of the struggle, the light at the end of the tunnel, is giving it to God. You go to verse 42. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. Sometimes if we're not careful, we think God has forgotten us, abandoned us. He doesn't care. I'm in the garden of struggle. Where are you, Lord? And God is saying to us, I'm here. 
but I need you to let me be me. Jesus says to the Lord, he says, your will, I give it over to you. I surrender to you. All of us go through the garden of struggle in all different forms and shapes, all different journeys. Some are young, some are old. Some journeys through the garden of struggle are journeys that seem to go fast and fleeting. Some linger long. I talked to somebody the other day who's, they're in the latter stages of their life. And as I sit, sat and chatted, they told me, they said, it's just taking too long. It's lingering. As they journey through that garden of struggle. But on the other side of that garden, that pathway leads to the garden of victory. And that's what we are looking to. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ, as he went to the garden of Gethsemane, he knew that just over yonder was the garden of the tomb. And in the garden of the tomb was victory. And that's where we're going to go now. Look with me, if you would, over to Matthew 28, verses 1 down through 8. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake because and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. And there shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. Here we find this garden of victory. In the midst of this beautiful garden is a tomb. And in that tomb laid the Savior. But he did not remain he did not stay. He arose and he is alive. He's ascended up to be with the Father. And he's told you and I, embrace the victory and tell all that they might know. Yes, there's the garden of new beginnings. And sadly, there is the garden of struggle. But you and I, we look towards the garden of victory. The resurrection garden, the place where we find joy and peace and understanding that God is almighty. This also is a place of new beginnings. It's interesting how that circle completes because we come back to yet another new beginning. Look with me if you would 
at chapter 28, verse 1. It says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene. It's interesting, this is the new day. At the dawn of a new day. On the first day of the week, a new week. We find victory in the living Savior. A new faith in a living God who gives to us all hope. It is new beginning. It was the great victory over all the struggle. All, over all the sin. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57 says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You and I, we come to that garden of victory. And there we take the hand of our Savior. And we know that he lives. And we know that he will walk us through, yes, the new beginnings. Yes, the struggles. Because he lives. We have to look to the garden of victory. You can't stay in the garden of struggle. It will beat you down and wear you out. You have to come to that place where you relinquish and give it to the Lord. You have to have him br bring you to that place of victory. My heart breaks for those who live in the past and never leave the gardens of struggle. Even when God has given them the victory and they've moved on, they keep rushing back to it. Oh, what a sad place to be. But it's also a sad place to be, to always want to go back to the new beginning. Always wanting to go back to the rush and the excitement of everything new. Listen, there's a sense of maturity and growth in moving on. And finding victory in what God has for you. Every once in a while, I, you know, you, you're talking to folks and somebody will say, Boy, I wish I, could, I wish I could go back to this or that. And some people will say, not me, not me. And others will say, well, I'd go back. But the reality is you and I would not be the people we are. Unless we've gone through that garden of new beginnings and those gardens of struggles into the garden of victory. Each of us in our lives, we came to a place, you and I that are sitting in this sanctuary, where we looked to the Lord Jesus Christ. Where we looked to the living Savior. We put our faith, our trust in him. We left the sin of the garden and said, Lord, forgive me. Wash me clean. Be my savior. God, help me. As I walk through the garden of struggle, Lord, I can't do it without you. I, I ask you to guide and direct me and enable me. And we come to that garden of victory and we say, I trust in you entirely. I rest in you. My hope is in you. My eternity rests in your hand. When you look in Matthew 28, look at verse 3. It's so interesting. It says, the angel's countenance was like lightning. 
in his raiment white as snow. Such a pure place, isn't it? God sends forth an angel down into the garden of victory. And that angel is bright, white like lightning. You and I, we need that clean, fresh, glistening start, don't we? It's one of the things that makes me look forward to snow. I know. I know we live in Vermont. We need to embrace every single hot and warm day. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I love to see the first snow. I like the snow that's deep enough to cover all the grass. That white sheet that glistens with the sun. I think it is amazingly beautiful. And it's so reminiscent of God's purity and cleansing in our hearts and lives. He sends forth this angel with the countenance of lightning, his raiment white as snow. He wants us to understand that in the garden of victory, there is a purity and a newness that we can only find in him. It's interesting when he comes down in verses five and six, the angel said to the women, Fear not, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. They thought they were coming to the garden of struggle, didn't they? They came because the last they knew, Jesus Christ was washed, wrapped, and put in a tomb owned by somebody else. They thought they were going to the garden of struggle. And God said, no, whole nother garden. This is the garden of victory. Stop being afraid. Don't be afraid. He lives. He's risen. He's not here. He's not in the garden of struggle. He's in the garden of victory. You and I need to embrace that. We need to live that. We need to practice that. Because the garden of victory is a place of joy. It tells us in chapter 28, verse 8, it says, They departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. They were amazed by what took place. There was a trembling in what took place. But their hearts are full with joy. This morning we looked at three gardens. The garden of new beginnings. I wouldn't trade it for anything. I loved all that new beginning. Even the hard things were part of the experiences that taught and shaped and made each of us who we are. That led us, of course, to the garden of struggle. But praise the Lord that we don't live there and stay there. But we come to the garden of victory. And this morning, as we come to the end of the message, I want you to look in your heart and in your soul. Where have you set up housekeeping? Which garden have you chose to build yourself a she shed or a man hut? Which one have you chosen? Are you continually trying the new exciting experiences of an adolescent? 
Are you satisfied to stay in the garden of struggle and sorrow even after God has given you victory? Or have you learned to mature and come to the place where you've left your sin, you've received Christ as your Savior, you've embraced Him, the living Christ, who will help us through discovery and new adventures, who will give us victory in the garden of struggle, but He will lead us to a place where we find joy. That's why He tells us in the 23rd Psalm, that he will even walk through the very valley of the shadow of death with us. Even through that garden, he will be there if we put our faith and trust in him. I'd like you to bow your heads with me this morning. Father in heaven, as we prepare to dismiss this morning, I pray that it would be your Holy Spirit that leads us into whatever garden of life we are faced with when we walk out these doors. For some in this room, absolutely, it is an adventure of new beginnings. For others, they are in the midst of the garden of struggle. And I lift them up before you. Help us as a church to encourage them to not fall asleep. Help us to pray and Lord, we pray for victory. Just over the way, just over the hill, just around the corner is the garden of victory. We look to you. We rest in you. We praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you so much for coming this morning. Redeemed how I love to proclaim and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. dismissed.